He now lived in the cottage, just through the wood at the bottom of our garden. That is, when he was not off somewhere, at the behest of the war office. As he set my kit in the rear seat, then opened the door for me, Simon commented, "'Your mother has already seen to a fresh uniform. I was to tell you that before you asked to be taken round the shops today.' "'Of course she has. I should have guessed. Will they be coming to London as well, my mother and the Colonel Sahib?' "'The Colonel is away. Your mother was making noises that sounded to me very much like decisions on what hat would look best.' I laughed. Rested, eager to see my parents, I was glad to be in Simon's motor-car. The bonnet pointed towards Somerset. Simon glanced at me. You look much better than the last time I saw you. Amazing what a little sleep will do. He laughed in his turn, that deep chuckle that meant he was truly amused. It was a long but easy journey to Somerset, and my mother was there on the steps to greet me as the motor car pulled up. It was only for two nights, but I was at home. I left Somerset very early on Monday morning, my new uniform packed in tissue paper in the rear seat of Simon's motor car to prevent it from being crushed. My mother, much to her disappointment, couldn't come. There was a new widow to call on, the wife of a young lieutenant in the regiment that had once been my father's. The present colonel's lady was at the bedside of her very ill sister, and mother had volunteered to take her place. According to the letter I'd received, I would have an opportunity to meet my patient, Sergeant Wilkins, in the early evening when he arrived in London, and then tomorrow I would escort him to his engagement at the palace. His bandages would be seen to before he came down from the hospital in Shrewsbury, and my role was a ceremonial one, unless, of course, he had an unexpected setback. King George was popular. A family man himself, he had guided us through the trying years of war, a quiet strength that had given all of us courage. Simon escorted me to the hotel to call on Sergeant Wilkins. He knocked on the door, and we heard the patient call, Come! We walked in to find him lying propped up in bed, his well-padded left leg a long hump under the coverlet, his right arm in a sling. A third bandage encircled his head. I couldn't see the colour of his hair, but I thought it might be fair, judging from his eyebrows. His blue eyes were, for lack of a better word, troubled. I thought perhaps he was in more pain than he cared to admit, or perhaps the journey down from Shrewsbury had been harder than he'd expected. Hello, he said, surveying us. It's good to see you again, Sister Crawford. Sergeant Wilkins, I said in acknowledgement, trying to place what I could see of his face. How are you this evening? I'm well enough, thank you. The orderly who brought me down from Shrewsbury has gone to fetch our dinners. He left me as comfortable as possible. We sat down in the only two chairs in the room, and I presented Simon. Sergeant Major, my patient said, nodding. A lot of fuss over nothing, he went on. But it's good for morale, they tell me. Machine gun nest, was it? Simon asked. Yes. I tossed in a grenade, but they were still firing, and that was unexpected. I discovered later that the grenade was a dud. There was nothing left but to finish the task myself. Small wonder he was being decorated for valour. Then I realised that Simon must have looked up the sergeant's record. They talked about the war, and then an orderly, an older man by the name of Thompson, came in with a covered tray, and we took our leave. Walking down the hotel passage to the stairs, I said, I've dealt with so many wounded, 
It isn't surprising I should forget some of their names, but not their wounds. It's more than likely he was misinformed about the sister who sent him back to the field hospital. Yes, that's true. Many men were grateful to us for saving life, and, sometimes more important to them, limbs. The only angry tirades I'd endured were when someone came out of surgery without a limb and blamed me for letting it happen. The men knew, of course, that I'd had nothing to do with the decision to amputate, but I was there, and their fear and shock were very real. I'd taken a room of my own at the Monarch to be available if Sergeant Wilkins needed care, even though Thompson was staying in his room. But when I looked in on them before going to bed, he was quietly sleeping, and the orderly was sitting by the lamp, reading. He nodded to me, and I left without speaking. The next afternoon, at the time appointed, I went down the passage to collect my patient.